And I pray, God, that as we open your good book, this holy word, that you would just teach us and guide us. We need you to show us what we're really like and what we can become in your strength. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you would take your Bibles, uh, we want to look today at uh, the book of Matthew as we continue this series on the apostles. And as we look at the apostles, we discover uh, really, I think, possibilities for our own lives. We see in these apostles, we see our characteristics, our personality, our temperament. We see the good, the bad, and the ugly. I love that the Word of God doesn't hide that about these disciples. And we see how God works through their challenges and transforms them and how hard-headed people become heroes of the faith. And it's just amazing to watch. And so we want to continue this series. And and today we're going to look at one of the disciples, maybe you've not really thought much about, but, but next to Peter, he was by far the most prominent of the disciples, and his name is James. And when we look at James, we're going to see what I believe is a classic example of a high D type personality, a driven person, an aggressive person, a dominating type person, a decisive person. And a lot of times people will not want to admit that they're a high D. And it doesn't matter if you're male or female. You can be a high D type personality. And it's not a bad thing to be a D, but I'll just tell you this. As I begin to describe some of the characteristics of a red person, this high driven type personality, it might sound a little bit negative. But I want to tell you that they make some of the greatest advances in, uh, in every field, in every endeavor, and in particular in the church. I believe James is a high idea. I believe the Apostle Paul was this type of driven personality. They're a difficult bent, but this difficult bent, when under the control of the Holy Spirit, can become one of the most formidable forces in the kingdom of God. So if you're a high idea, I want you to celebrate that today. Uh, I don't, I don't, I'm not high on D, but let me just tell you this. All of us have a, a little D in us. All of us are driven. All of us kind of want to dominate from time to time. All of us can be aggressive, but some of us are passive aggressive. Some of us are aggressive in subtle ways, but all of us like to get our way. D's just don't have the filter some of the rest of us have. They just kind of let it out there, and we're going to see James uh, have this filter. And perhaps it is best seen in the nickname that Jesus gave them. It says in Mark chapter 3, By the way, this is just one of the places where it describes Jesus calling his disciples. But notice in Mark chapter 3, verse 16, in this list, notice who comes second. It says, he appointed the twelve, Simon to whom he gave the name Peter. We've already talked about Simon. I tend to believe he's one of those, he's got some D in him, but I believe he's more of a high I, inspirational and influential and and outgoing type uh, uh, he was more of a people person than probably a James. But, but in verse 17, the second person listened is James. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. Next week, I'm going to talk about John. You will want to, you'll want to follow up James with John. I believe John, too, was a controlling person. And, but I believe he was much more of the cautious, calculating type. I think he's a classic C. And we'll look at that next week. 
but it's interesting that John became the apostle we associate with the word love. Uh, and I don't think that... Uh, uh, but I, I think it's interesting that when Jesus looked at James and John, he gave them a nickname. He called them the sons of thunder. The sons of thunder. Now, what would you think if you got nicknamed the sons of thunder? Two brothers. You know, you can just imagine what that was like. My parents could have called my brother and I that for a while. I mean, we, we would have a lot of fights and different things. And we played football in the hallways of the upstairs. It must have sounded like thunder down on the first floor. Uh, so in a sense, we the sons of thunder. We made a lot of noise together. And you just imagine James and John were characterized by this clash. Perhaps they didn't get along all the time as siblings do. But Sons of Thunder doesn't indicate two mild, meek, laid-back type people. In particular, I believe James was this forceful, high-D type personality called the Sons of Thunder. Just curious, how many of you think you've given birth to one of the Sons of Thunder? Just raise your hand. You know, you may have had children that, you know, we don't call them Sons of Thunder. We call them strong what? Willed. Strong-willed children. Some of you looked at your strong-willed children and think, what did I do to deserve this? Why couldn't I have gotten one of those nice, laid-back, compliant S-type children that I see take cleaning up their rooms? What's going on there? But I'm here to tell you, hard-headed deeds can become heroes of the faith. And we're going to watch James be transformed. And we're going to see this also in the life of another classic D personality, driven personality, Apostle Paul today. So to get started, look over in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And before we look at that passage, I want to talk just a little bit more about the D so that you can kind of identify with James a little bit. Maybe when we look at uh, just basically even from a secular viewpoint, people just notice that there's a certain number of us that fall into this category. The ideal environment for a D personality type, according to one study, says this. They like to focus on the future. Now remember this. The future and the big picture. And, like, and they like non-routine, challenging tasks and activities. They want a mountain to conquer, right? Or climb. They are motivated by projects. They're task-oriented, not people-oriented. They want to produce physical Trackable, tangible results. Everybody needs some high D people on their team. We need them in our churches. We need them on our staffs. They enjoy being in charge and having the freedom to make decisions for themselves and may crave freedom from controls, supervision, and details. What does the high D personality style desire? Well, here's what they desire. Freedom from other people's rules. (laughs) They gravitate towards authority, personal freedom, and advancement. I love this. You'll see when I read the scriptures, it's amazing. This paragraph came from some secular website on this disc analysis. And then when you watch the scriptures we're about to read, they desire recognition, opportunity for advancement, awards, prestige for their work and ideas. In the work environment, deep personality types focus on promoting growth and the bottom line approach. So they like to bust through barriers. 
They like to climb great mountains. They, they will endure struggles. They have this strong will that as a child can be very difficult. And out of control can become very difficult. But under control, it, it becomes incredibly powerful. Let me return for a second to my golf analogy. Uh, can you tell I'm enjoying this golf analogy? <laughs> uh, I, hopefully it makes sense even if you're not a golfer. But you know, in, 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 a, in a player's bag, every single club is bent differently. It is bent, literally, the face of it is bent differently to produce a different result. And no player would ever win a tournament if he used one club the entire time for every shot. You could not win a tournament, I hope. Maybe you could. You'd have to be really good to win it using a putter. And let me tell you, it's really hard to putt with this club. This is called a driver. To me, this is the high D club. Because as John Daly would say, what you do with this club is you just grip it and what? And rip it, right? This is the club you just swing as hard as you possibly can. You tee the ball up off the ground. And you, this is the club that hits it the furthest. But it is also one of the clubs that is, is most difficult to control. And let me just tell you, you, maybe you can hit it a long ways. But in golf, it doesn't do you a lot of good to hit the ball 300 yards in the wrong direction. Right? So the, so, the, so the name of the game is to learn to control the driver. I'm telling you, if you can learn to control this club, and you can get the ball as far as you possibly can into the middle of the fairway, that's where you want it, then the rest of the game becomes a lot easier. Becomes a lot easier. And so we see Jesus working on people like the Peter and James, and we see him working on the person like Paul to get them under control. He needed Paul to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? I want you to hit it a long ways. He needed James to face the challenges of the early church, but they had to come under his control. And to come under his control, listen, we've got to understand the difficulties and the blind spots of the D in all of us. And some of you are that, are that high, driven type personality. And you may want to talk to your family and friends. And you may honestly not want to be a D. Uh, and, and I've watched D's insist that they're not D's, and that's classic D. <laughs> I'm not a D. But anyway, uh, it's okay. Because under his control, you can become a hero of the faith. But we must understand the blind spots. In this passage of Scripture in Matthew 19, look what Jesus says. Jesus said to his disciples, here's his here's, here's speech. So Jesus says, all right, now listen to this. Truly I say to you, Peter's just asked a question, by the way, what's in this for us? We've left houses, we've left all this kind of stuff, our fishing boats, what's in it for us? He says, truly I say to you, trust me. In the new world, not this one, in the new world, when the Son of Man will be on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones. Now, Peter and James are going, now we're talking. <laughs> sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone else 
who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Yes, eternal life. A hundredfold ROI, return on investment. That's what I'm talking about. That's what a high D wants. Thrones, return on investment. Let's go. And they completely didn't even listen to the last sentence of the speech. But many who are first will be what? Last. Classic D, they don't listen real well. Not great listeners. And the last will be first. How do we know they didn't listen very well? Well, look over at chapter 20. They're still thinking about this. Some time goes by. They're still thinking about that. Turns out they've gone and conspired with mom. Salome. Salome or Salome, however you want to pronounce that. They, now, we get the idea that they come from a somewhat influential family, James and John, because she is free and seems to have the resources to help with the disciples. She travels with them. And then we see John uh, at the end, at the cross. We, it seems to be that they have some level of influence. And maybe they're used to getting their way. And maybe that's why they're called the sons of thunder. They were always wanting to get their way. They're always pushing. And mom's now in the in kind of pushing. Or maybe she's just let them let her, them push her around her whole life. But here she is. Mom, go talk to him. Verse 17. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and he said, "We're going to go up to Jerusalem, and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged." crucified and he will be raised on the third day and then the mother of of James and John the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons now just imagine this now most of us would know this is not the time to do that Jesus has just said oh by the way I'm going to be crucified I'm going to be buried I'm going to be resurrected on the third day this is the way this is going to go Jesus come here I was just wondering you remember last chapter? You started talking about thrones, 12 of them. I really hope that you'll have James on one side and John on the other. I want them to be in the closest thrones. Listen to her ask. It's amazing. Verse 21, he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say to these two sons of mine, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your hand, one at your left, and one at your right hand in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you don't even know what you're asking. For a classic D, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter how it's going to happen. I just want to get to the end result. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? Here's another classic statement. We are what? Oh, we're, we are able. I can do it. I can do it. That is an unbelievably positive spirit, the can-do spirit. We can accomplish this. You can do anything you put your mind to. And Jesus says, all right, you don't even know what you're asking for. And so you see this in James, and you see this in John, some of the characteristics. And does it, 
It's interesting in verse 24, when the other ten disciples heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. It's classic. Let me give you just a few of the blind spots. The first is a, a blind spot of this type temperament is impatience. Impatience, and you see that in this story. I don't want to wait till we get through this whole cross death thing, whatever that is. I don't want to wait. I'm not even. And they completely ignored that he had said it's in the new world, it's in the world to come. It's like, no, I want to go ahead and jump in front of the other 10 disciples, get in, get in front of the pack. High D's are driven to win, they're driven to achieve. A positive thing, but can be a very negative weakness as well. A lack of patience. Second of all, they will cut corners to win sometimes. They'll cut corners. We see that throughout the scripture that the cutting of corners really never led to good results. But sometimes to achieve the goal, they will see they'll will say the means or the ends justify the means. And Jesus says, hold on a second. You don't even know what you're asking for. Wait. And he turns and tells the mother, he says, it is only the father who will decide this. The father has prepared this. Don't cut corners to win. A third thing that you see even in this story that is classic of this bent you know, is overconfidence. It's no, no wonder it's the high D has the biggest head, <laughs> right? They're overconfident sometimes, overestimate their abilities. But that's a, that can be such a positive thing because they do have tremendous work ethic, tremendous ability. But right here, you see some of their overconfidence. We are able we are able they thought they could achieve the throne without taking the cup they thought they could have the cup without carrying a cross now turn to Luke chapter 9 I want you to see one more classic illustration of some of the blind spots of this type of person like James and the apostle Paul high D personalities that were heroes of the faith but You'll see some of the hard-headedness right here. There is a quick-temperedness to the high D. A temper and, a, and can be judgmental. Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, sends messengers ahead. He's going through Samaria. Remember my message on the Samaritan woman a few weeks back. He sends out a, a coalition says, prepare a place for me. I'm coming through. Would you take care of me? For the evening, but in verse 53 it says the people did not receive Jesus. Now when the message came back to the disciples, uh, they'd sent out uh, and, and they said, well, they don't want Jesus. And James is like, what do you mean they don't want Jesus? What do you mean? This is the Son of God. This is the Savior. They're Messiah. So he gets with the other son of thunder. And look at verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume this village? Let's do it. That seems a little bit strange to you, probably, and to anyone. 
we don't normally talk that way, but this was classic because they knew the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, Elijah had done the very same thing in the very same area. The prophets of Baal, I remember with Elisha too, when the, when the, the, the 50 prophets, they kept sending this group of 50 up to the hill. He's sitting on the hill. Every time they'd send another 50 uh, uh, prophets up to her, the fire would come down and consume them. So Elijah and Elisha both had this ability. By the way, they had just seen Elijah up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were feeling their oats. They're like, hey, just tell us. Tell us to call down fire. Look at their sense of confidence. Tell us we'll call down fire. They got it backwards, don't they? Quick-tempered, overconfident, judgmental. Jesus turned and rebuked them. And so a high D often is rebuked, has to be confronted. High Ds don't normally take subtlety. They don't take hints very well. You have to take them and speak right to them very clearly. And Jesus did. And Jesus did that for the Apostle Paul as well. Paul was uh, striving to please God, striving to achieve. And in his own admission, truthfully, he says, I have achieved, when it comes to being a Jew and a Pharisee, I'm the best. I'm MVP. I'm killing Christians, taking these new Christians out. When it comes to the law, I'm pretty much blameless. He was a classic overachiever when it came to Judaism. Jesus had to Get him under control. He had to break him down, and he did. And he confronted him on that road to Damascus, right? And he confronted the Apostle Paul, but it wasn't an easy confrontation. He blinded Paul. And Paul had to, have, he had to humble himself to remove the blinders. He actually, we believe, spent like 13 years out in the wilderness being retrained before he could even be used for ministry. He had to be transformed, softened. He had to become, he had to get 13 years out on the driving range in the master's hand before God could put him right out on the course to become under control. And so when the Apostle Paul finally came under control, he was sent out but became a hero of the faith. Look at the blessings of this design. Think about what the Apostle Paul accomplished. All of these missionary journeys, all of these shipwrecks, all of these beatings and stonings. But notice what James, we have an idea of what James accomplished, not just from uh, uh, secular history, but from biblical history. Look at Acts 12. This is pretty neat. Now, let me tell you where Acts 12 is. Jesus uh, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit came down. The church is already spreading out. Guess who's in charge of the church in Jerusalem? James. Any surprise? James is in charge. He becomes in charge of the church. Why? Because he's willing to take leadership. He's bold. He's aggressive. He's administratively gifted. He was connected. 
and he stepped up to the challenge. Now notice, this is after the Holy Spirit has come into James. James has been worked on by the Holy Spirit. How do we know he was in charge? Well, we know from other places, but look in Acts chapter 12. He was the first of the disciples to be martyred. Because he would stick his head out. He would, he would take the step out. He would challenge the status quo. He would challenge the authorities. He wasn't afraid. This person under Christ's control was such a threat to the enemy. The kingdom of God needs high D personalities to get the job done. It says in verse 1, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. I find it very interesting that that Herod decided of all the disciples to take out James first. It tells you a lot about James. It tells you a lot about James. High D's achieve results, number one. High D's have unbending convictions and beliefs, number two. High D's are normally take-charge leaders born to lead. We need those, but here's the deal. High D's, like every personality represented in this room, we've got to learn how to stay in the master's grip. How do we stay controlled? This is the hardest club in the bag to control. It is. But how do we stay in the master's control? Well, let me just show you one thing, a couple of things that Jesus did for the Apostle James. And he also did it for Paul who came later. He had to help them adjust their thinking. And I want you to see Matthew 22. Look at verse 25 in Matthew 22, if you turn back to that passage. And this is how he did it. Jesus not only was an example of love and of dominance under control. Talk about a high D. This is the God of the universe, the Son of God, humbling himself to serve others. Dominance under control. And look at what he says in verse 25. And Jesus called them to him and said, You know what the rulers of the Gentiles, that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. That's the way the world works. The world wants to control and be dominant and exercise authority over others. It shall not be so among you. Whoever wants to be great... Among you, my disciples, must be your servant. Oh, great. Just imagine how that went. Some of the high Ds. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And at that time, Peter was already starting to take charge... At that time, James was second in the list on some of the lists. 
James and John, these guys were the obvious leaders. So Jesus was obviously, when he was, you ever had feel like the preacher's talking right to you? James, they're kind of just looking at Jesus as he's teaching them, going, well, I think he's talking to me. James, if you're going to be the leader, I'm going to redefine leadership for you. And what he does here is he redefines the when. Because driven people want to win. They're competitive. They want to win. They want to achieve. What I love is that Jesus doesn't rip that out of us. He doesn't look at you and say, oh, stop being an overachiever. Stop trying to succeed. I don't want you to win. I don't want you to be excellent. I don't want you to be the best. Stop that. Be passive. Jesus never said that. He just says, oh, no, I want you. I want my followers, and I want my high Ds. I want you to hit the ball as far as you possibly can. I want you to get every ounce of power out of this. I want you to be exactly the way I designed you. You are fearfully and wonderfully designed. The issue is not your design. The issue is the control of your design. Now, here's what he did. He said, listen, I am going to redefine the when. The win is not the throne. The win is the servant. The win is the servant. And to show that to you, look at verse 28. Even whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus redefined the win. My youngest son, Stephen, has, has taken up playing golf. And, and man, he can hit the ball good. He's, he's, he, he can now drive it further than me, which is humiliating. <laughs> and, and he, but uh, he, he can hit the ball a long ways, right? Here's what I did when he started learning to play. And we don't get to play a whole lot. But when, when he started to learn to play, he had the swing down. And he could tee the ball up. He knew how to hold the club. He knew all of that. And, but I would stand right here. Why would I stand right here? What was I doing? I was aligning him. I was lining him up. That's what I call it. And I'd say, hey, you're aimed too far left. And he'd adjust his stance. I said, no, you're aimed, now you're aimed out into the woods. It takes a while to learn the alignment. But once I got his feet, and once I got him aligned, he could just swing away. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do for you. Whatever your temperament. In particular, if you're a driver. Do putters need to be aligned? How many of you have ever played putt-putt? Almost everybody's played putt-putt. I mean, lining that up's important. And so he wants to align us. He, he redefines the target. Here's the target. He also convinces them to understand their weaknesses. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 
says something remarkable. Now, this is remarkable that this very driven individual has come to this level of understanding. Only the Holy Spirit could do this. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm sorry to give you so much scripture, but you've got to see this. Look, it says, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations that I was receiving, because I'm getting so much for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. Now, he knew what his weakness was. He knew what his blind spot was. He said, I know I will exalt myself. God knows that I will exalt myself because I like to grip it and rip it and say, look how far I hit it. I like to do that. And if he didn't stop me, I'd be going around saying, I'm telling you, I know this. I had incredible revelations. Trust me. I'm more spiritual than you. But to keep me from exalting myself, he gave me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Would God do that? To keep you lined up. Because getting the gospel out is more important than the comfort of your flesh. So he put a thorn in his flesh to keep him hitting it in the right direction. He also came to understand this. Concerning this verse 8, I, was, I implored the Lord three times that, I might, that that thorn in the flesh would leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in what? Now compare that phrase. My grace is sufficient. Compare that phrase. Compare that phrase to we are able. Compare my power is perfected in your weakness to we are able. Big difference. And when high deeds understand that God is not only strong in their strengths, but can be even stronger in their weaknesses. Now, that doesn't make any sense. But when they can release that and surrender that and say, you know, I do have some weaknesses. I'm not necessarily the smartest person here. I still think I am, but I may not be. And I may not be the most able person here. I'm not... Whether I am or not doesn't matter. God can be strong in your strengths and he can be strong in your weaknesses and his grace is sufficient. You're not. And then look at what he's come to. He's come to the point where he says, Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. This high D personality experienced a power that was not his own. And he said, oh, I much prefer that. I'm seeing him change people's lives through me, a preacher, and I'm not even a good preacher is what Paul said about himself. I'm not even eloquent in words. And yet when I'm preaching, the power of gospel, the gospels, the power of the cross is changing people's lives. In my weak spot. I'm I'm not known for my eloquence and all of that. And he's using that. I was good at administrating the killing of Christians. 
It's in my weakness that he's demonstrating his strength. Man, that's glorious, isn't it? Therefore, I am well. Now, this is for a high D. They just don't use language like this. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. But notice that. They're still there. And God doesn't want it to leave. That competitive nature. He wants to be strong. But what's great is he's discovered that his strength doesn't come through his performance. But through his submission. And that he's still going to win. I love one of the final verses that he ever this, this high D apostle Paul ever wrote one of the final verses he ever wrote. He's, you still hear that D in him. He says, I have fought the good what? Fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. That's a high D, isn't it? Henceforth, there's laid up for me a what? A crown. He's still pursuing. He's still fighting. He still has that natural bent. He's driven for that, but it's under the control of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God. And then he admits at the end of that passage, he said, and praise God, it's not just for me, but for everyone who has loved his appearing. Folks, that just is thrilling. That the Apostle Paul could come to a point where he says, this is a great thing about Christianity. I, I had it all wrong with Judaism. I thought it was for by obeying the law, I please God. But I'm here to tell you, it's by grace you are saved through what? Faith. It is the gift of God. So that no one can boast. We come under the control when we surrender our weaknesses. And the final thing that they learned was they learned how to love. Love is the controlling factor for all of them, but in particular for the high D type personality. They need to understand as the Apostle Paul did in 1 Corinthians 13. Listen to these words. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. By the way, that's what Paul wanted. All understanding, all knowledge. He wanted to understand the mysteries. He wanted to have the tongues of men and angels. He wanted to give his life away. He wanted to achieve, 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 achieve. And deliver up his body to be burned like it says in verse 3. But he says, if I have not love, I have hit the ball 300 yards into the woods. Out of bounds. No good. I am nothing. And so he says, God, just control me. Let your love control me. Control my tongue, control my life. Control me. It's okay. In fact, it's incredibly important to be a D, to be an I. An S, whatever your personality is. Let love aim you. Let love swing you. Let love control you. Let love hold you tightly in his grip. 
and it will change the world. You can change the world. Let's pray together. God, what a blessing to see you transform the hearts of these disciples right before our very eyes. What a blessing. Help us learn to be in the grip of your love. Help us learn to live in grace and not under the weight of performance. Help us not lose our innate drive and our innate competitiveness and our innate desire to achieve. You want us to do that. You put it in us. You designed us that. Help us, though, hit a home run for you. Help us hit it in the right direction. Help us love in the right direction. Help us aim our lives towards serving and loving others for your glory. Help us do that. God, break us down however you need us. And then rebuild us for your use. With every head bowed and I close, just... Turn to the Lord whatever's on your heart right now. Maybe you're a high D. And you know, hey, I've got to become more loving. I've got to become a better listener. I need to think about and accept what others have to offer. I need to be more gentle, less aggressive. Maybe you've seen those blind spots and you've been convicted of that. Don't pray that God would make you somebody else he put that in you ask him to take control of it ask him to take control of your tongue ask him to take control of that aggression and to turn it against sin ask him to take it control it with his love Listen, maybe some of you here today have never known how much Jesus did for you. He went the long distance. He became flesh and died on a cross for your sin so that you can have a relationship with God, so that you weren't left in your sin. He came to give you hope. And if you have never trusted Christ for salvation, and trusted Him for the gift of eternal life, you can do that today. I invite you to pray, even as we've got our heads bowed, you can just ask Him right now to save you. Ask Him for forgiveness. In a moment when we sing, there'll be volunteers here up at the front. I'll be up at the front. While we stand and sing and worship, it's just a chance you come on down and our volunteers will help you. Maybe they'll pray with you. Just let us pray with you encourage you in your walk. If you've got questions or concerns about your faith or if you want to come and pray at the altar, this is a time to respond. You do so as the Lord leads. Father, I just pray that as we see ourselves in the mirror of your word, we will not walk away unchanged. You'll take the D in all of us and help us become overachievers in your grace and in your love. We ask it in Jesus' name.